On today's show, Sully of Locked On MLB is going to be pinch hitting for me for obvious reasons, but this is the second time in a week that Sully has had to record an episode in which he needs to be positive about the Yankees, and that must be killing him. So that should be a fun time. All next on Locked On Yankees. You are Locked On Yankees, your daily New York Yankees podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, everyone. I'm Stacy Gasulius. I'm the host of Locked On Yankees. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. You can listen to us on Odyssey, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, click the like button and the bell so you know when our videos go up. Um, I'm sick with COVID. And it has murdered my voice and my throat. My throat is on fire right now, which is why I'm not doing a full episode. Um, maybe later today I'll feel better. I just took my second dose of medicine that's supposed to help me with the COVID, so we'll see how that goes. And if I do feel better later today, I'll do an episode talking about last night's loss to the Angels. I will say this. I warned you about Montas and Otani. I didn't even watch the game, and I had a feeling Otani was going to hit a home run off him. Oh, well, what are you going to do? So this episode is going to be Sully talking positively about the Yankees and having a hard time doing it. So that should be fun for Yankee fans to watch. A Red Sox fan have to be positive about the Yankees. And um, so thank you for listening to that and watching that. And again, I apologize for getting COVID. I didn't mean to. I really was trying to avoid it this entire time. And it just, it just happened. So again, get ready for Sully. Should be a fun one. For those of you who are fans of Locked on Yankees, hosted by the wonderful Stacy Gotsoulias, who is a touch ill right now. Get well soon, Stacy. The Locked on Podcast Network needs you. Check out Locked on Yankees at Locked on Yankees on Twitter and check out Stacy Gotsoulias at Stace Gots on Instagram. Stacy and I are, have been podcasting for a long time uh, and we both appeared on HBO Sports. Uh, Yankee fans will probably love the, or you know, certainly be moved by the documentary, which was Nine Innings from Ground Zero, which Stacy appears in. I thought it was amazing. Uh, I appear in a couple of Red Sox themed HBO Sports documentaries, which may not be in heavy rotation amongst Yankee fans. Uh, Curse the Bambino versus the Curse the Bambino, but I digress. Hey, um, uh, if anyone who's followed this podcast, Lockdown MLB, or my old show, which was called Sully Baseball Daily, uh, you know that I believe that one of the great appeals of baseball is the fact that in some ways it creates an illusion of timelessness, that the past, present, and future are always there. And they always hang over the team. Hell, you can't have a conversation even about breakfast with a Yankee fan without bringing up 27 championships. And the fact of the matter is that's celebrating the past and understanding that there is a certain, for the lack of a better word, pressure for the great players who are currently with the Yankees or any great player who comes to the Bronx 
to try to add themselves to that list of champions who are beloved amongst Yankee fans over the years. And the same thing goes with all teams. You know, the teams that have a rich history, the Giants do a wonderful job celebrating their history, not just the history in San Francisco as they've retired many, many numbers. Uh, you know, obviously the Juan Marichals and the Orlando Cepedas and the Willie McCoveys and the Gaylord Perrys of the world who starred in San Francisco. Also the Barry Bonds of the world who basically saved the franchise. Say what you want about Barry Bonds, that's what he did. And people who are huge fan favorites, like Will Clark recently, not a Hall of Famer, but certainly someone who electrified the fan base. And eventually the likes of Bruce Bochy and Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner will find their way up there. But they also honor the members of the New York Giants. You know, Monty Irvin's number is retired there. They honor John McGraw and Christy Mathewson and Bell Ott and Bill Terry. And obviously... There is a gigantic celebration of Willie Mays in San Francisco. Hell, if you want to write a letter to the San Francisco Giants, the address for the Oracle Park is 24 Willie Mays Plaza, named after, well, arguably the greatest baseball player of all time. There's a gigantic statue of Willie Mays that you can't miss when you walk into the main entrance there. Now, this past weekend, the Mets retired Willie Mays' number. Now. Uh, I talked about this on the Monday episode of Locked On MLB. And my on Monday, I co-host the show with um, Miller Thomas of uh, the Locked On Diamondbacks pro- uh, podcast. And we had a little bit of a disagreement. He didn't think that the Mets should have retired Willie Mays' number because his numbers with the Mets were not great. I mean, he was playing out the string. Uh, I said it had more to do with his numbers. First of all, uh, when Willie Mays was acquired by uh, the Mets in May of 1972, and he hit a home run to beat the Giants on May 14, 1972, his first game with the Mets and also the day I was born. Uh, when he was acquired by the Mets in 1972, the owner of the Mets was Joan Payson, and she promised him that he would be the last player ever to wear number 24 for the Mets. And it was kind of a de facto uniform retiring that was promised for Willie Mays. Well, she passed away and that promise was not kept. And many other Mets players, including Robinson Cano, have worn number 24 as a member of the Mets. I believe Ricky Henderson also wore 24 with the Mets. I could be mistaken about that. Well, Retiring his number does two things. First of all, I'm a big believer in we should celebrate people while they're still alive. Willie Mays is not going to be around much longer. Willie Mays is not a young man. He's also been not well. His his health has been failing over the last few years as he's living in Menlo Park, California, and he could not make the trip to New York. That's a tell. He could not make the trip from the Bay Area to New York for the retiring of his number at City Field. I think when you have someone like Willie Mays, who is still alive, you celebrate him while you have the chance. The other thing is that his number 24 is also in honor of what he did in New York with the Giants. Yes, his number's retired with the Giants, but that's honoring his time with San Francisco in so many ways. And he was such a huge part of New York sports during when he exploded onto the scene with the New York Giants in the 1950s. 
and he his number should be part of New York lore as well. I think that's important. Now, the other number that was retired was at Yankee Stadium, and it was Paul O'Neill. Now, Paul O'Neill is a very important figure in Yankee history. This is coming from someone who uh, is not a Yankee fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I acknowledge the greatness. Paul O'Neill came to the Yankees at a terrible time in Yankee history, the early 1990s. And it's easy to forget that a lot of people criticized the deal initially. In the early 1990s, Roberto Kelly was probably the best player on the Yankees, certainly an all-star representative several times over. He had power. He had speed. He looked like an all-around five-tool player who came up through the Yankee farm system. And here he was traded for Paul O'Neill, who was part of the Reds World Series championship team of 1990, but was hardly a superstar. Well, it looked like a strange deal on paper, but as it turned out, it turned out to be a fantastic deal for the Yankees in all ways. Paul O'Neill took to New York like a fish to water, right away becoming an all-star caliber player in, in uh, 1993, he had, uh, which was the first year the Yankees had a winning season in a long time. People forget the Yankees were the worst team in baseball in the early 1990s, and they hadn't really put a contender on the field since 1998. It had been five years since there had been a contending team, and it had been over a decade since the Yankees even saw October. But he immediately became a 300 hitter with power. And the Yankees contended in 1993. Then 1994, when O'Neill was the batting champion and MVP candidate, the Yankees were the best team in baseball before the strike ended the season. Then came the greatest stretch the Yankees have seen since the days of Casey Stengel. From 95 to 2001, the Yankees made the postseason every single year. They won the World Series in 96, 98, 99, 2000, came within two outs of winning in 2001. And Paul O'Neill was a huge factor. Had some big series. He had some clunkers, too. But he was a big contributor, getting huge hits, making big outs. And was one of the reasons why the culture of the team changed. You could really point to three players who arrived at Yankee Stadium in 1993 who kind of changed the attitude of the team and suddenly turned them into a championship caliber club. O'Neill is certainly one of them. Wade Boggs, lest we forget his impact on the team, was one. And in some ways, the biggest one for several reasons was Jimmy Key, who gave the Yankees an ace and was a huge and underrated part of the turnaround of the Yankee franchise. But Paul O'Neill stuck with it, and his legend also grew when the feel of the Yankees changed after the 2001 World Series. Remember, between 2001 and 2009, they won one pennant off the Aaron Boone home run. And there was a lot of Yankee collapses, and there was a revolving door of right fielders, and there was a pining to have Paul O'Neill's toughness and everything. And, of course, he is a great contribution to the team as an announcer. Now, I have no problem with retiring Paul O'Neill's number uh, in a vacuum. As for all the reasons that I just said and all the reasons that the Yankees 
basically you could point to the turnaround of the franchise with his arrival and key and box. When you start to look at all the numbers that are retired, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twice, nine, 10, 15, 16, 20, 21, 23, 32, 37, 42, 44, 46, 49, 51. It is going to get to the point where you're going to have to have maybe a triple digit or maybe quietly unretire a few numbers. You know, there's going to be a lot of players wearing number 60 or number 70. Hell, Aaron Judge just cut to the chase and went to number 99. Watch that one get retired too. Now, there used to be a kind of a unofficial understanding about Monument Park in Yankee Stadium. There were going to be monuments to many of the great Yankees, many of the beloved Yankees, but the super elite Yankees were going to have their numbers retired. And then kind of like the next step up above that would get a monument. As there are monuments to Miller Huggins, Lou Gehrig, Babe Ruth, I believe Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle have monuments. Uh, I can't understand why Yogi Berra wouldn't. But there was a sense of the, a lot of people, there are a lot of people who have monuments, plaques out in that outfield that don't have their numbers retired. It's kind of like the, the different levels of Yankee greatness. So you would see someone like a um, Lefty Gomez or Catfish Hunter or Rich Gossage or Mel Stottlemyre or Willie Randolph get their monuments there but not their number retired. But over the last few years, they've been really, really handing out the retired numbers like crazy. And the represent, you know, the retired numbers should have certain representation of the great eras of Yankeedom. The 20s, you have Ruth and Garrick. Garrick bled over to the 30s, which also had Bill Dickey and Joe DiMaggio, which bled over to the 40s, which led to Yogi Berra, and the great run in the 50s, which included Mickey Mantle, Billy Martin, Phil Rizzuto, and Whitey Ford, which bled over to the 60s with Roger Maris. The 70s are represented with Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson and Ron Guidry. The, the terrible 80s are represented by Don Mattingly. And then you have the great run with Joe Torrey, which includes Jeter, Torrey, um, who else? Uh, O'Neill, Posada, Rivera, Pettit, Bernie Williams. This most recent era has the most representation of any of the eras, which is a little odd. But I know that they're trying to keep bringing back that good feeling of what happened then. There's some of those that I would kind of scratch my head about. Roger Maris, I understand why he's there. Um, he really had two great seasons with the Yankees, but he didn't start with the Yankees. He didn't end with the Yankees. He only played a few years there. Um, Posada, I think, is a stretch. Uh, Pettit might be a stretch, although I can I understand it. Like, there's no one you can point to as, like, completely egregious. It's just uh, we're starting to run out of numbers there. But O'Neill, I think, is one that should be celebrated because of what he meant and how he turned things around, and how the players who played right field after him made you think, you know what, they're the wrong hire. They are the wrong hire. 
to fill this spot that was once owned by Paul O'Neill. And if you're thinking about hires, let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn Talent Solutions. As you gear up for the fall, you need to find the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. Find a Paul O'Neill type with LinkedIn jobs. They're there to make it easy to find people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile so you can spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people. Simple tools like screening question make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidate you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MLB. That's linkedin.com slash MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right. It's funny that there are so few numbers that you would want to have that are still available with the Yankees. But do you know what? You could make the case that there are some other numbers that the Yankees could retire. For years, I thought the Yankees should consider retiring Rich Gossage's number. You know, I'm weird. And if you follow me on the podcast, you probably already knew that. But I think that if you make it to the Hall of Fame, your number should be retired somewhere. And there are players on the wall at the with the numbers retired at Yankee Stadium who are not in the Hall of Fame are not going to be anytime soon. Gidry's not a Hall of Famer. Elson Howard's not a Hall of Famer. Roger Maris, uh, Don Mattingly, Munson. Now, of course, some of them are a little, you know, Munson would have been in the Hall of Fame eventually, I believe. But, you know, there, there's some on there. Bernie Williams is on the Hall of Fame. And again, I'm not saying they shouldn't have been retired. Bernie Williams, absolutely. I think Bernie Williams might be the most underrated Yankee superstar. I digress. Um, I I'm personally think that one of the reasons why Gossage's number has not been retired by the Yankees is that uh, no one wants to put him behind a hot mic. He's become a grumpy old man over the years, and uh, I think devoting a whole day to him, I bet he's rubbed some people the wrong way. Now, one that I think is interesting, I believe he has a, a plaque in Monument Park, but it's interesting that Willie Randolph's number 30 has not been retired. Remember at one point, Willie Randolph was a captain of the Yankees. He was a great Yankee. He was a World Series champion Yankee. And a big part of why they won the World Series in 1977, he also was a solid part of the 78 World Series champion, although he was hurt for the postseason. Uh, Brian Doyle, his replacement, actually filled in wonderfully for him in the playoffs of the World Series. He was also part of the 81 pennant winners and was also a valuable lieutenant to uh, Joe Torre during the Joe Torre era. So there's another way you can honor both the the Bronx Zoo Yankees and the Joe Torre Yankees with one fell swoop with Willie Randolph. They haven't done that. And 
I would have retired Willie Randolph before Posada. But what do I know? There's one that I think will be. And, uh, you know, good for him for having a number that virtually nobody wanted to wear. But I believe eventually C.C. Sabat is going to go to the Hall of Fame. He is a, you know, he was a legitimate ace pitcher for over a decade. And, you know, Cy Young Award winner with Cleveland. And when he was a free agent after the Milwaukee Brewers treated him like a, uh, basically like a rental car, um, and, and just drove him into the ground with complete game after complete game down the stretch in 2008, it looked like as he went into free agency, it looked like he was destined to go to a California team. He's from California, and he loved hitting during his brief time with Milwaukee. So he looked like a, I mean, it was a it was a can't miss slam dunk that he was going to go to a West Coast National League team, and there just happened to be a team after the 2008 season that went all the way to the NLCS was a big market team and had a Hall of Fame manager and had a perfect slot for him, and that was the L.A. Dodgers. But here's where alternate universes kick in. The Dodgers were run by the McCourts. And by the mean run, I mean into the ground. Remember there's a team that had to file for bankruptcy? The Dodgers? The Dodgers? The McCourts so mismanaged the team and avoided making some of the big free agent signings that could have put them over the hump. CC Sabathia was tailor-made to be inserted into the Dodger rotation. Imagine Sabathia alongside a young Clayton Kershaw for with a team that was already making it to the NLCS. But alas, make the big move. And the Yankees signed him. And there were a lot of people who rolled their eyes thinking Sabathia is not going to fit in New York. Sabathia is not going to fit in New York. And I'll say it, the signing of CeCe Sabathia was one of the best free agent signings the Yankees ever made. He fit like a glove. He wasn't just a good pitcher. He was a great Yankee. He fit into the community. He loved being a New York Yankee and turned things around. Remember, he was the ALCS MVP in 2009. They don't get to the World Series in 2009 without a huge ace like C.C. Sabathia, not just huge in terms of his size, but huge in terms of his heart. He was a great Yankee, absolutely a great Yankee, and a great Yankee player for a long time, and someone who showed great character, who loved participating in New York, loved participating in the community. When he dealt with his alcoholism, he dealt he did so in a way that didn't avoid stating some unpleasant which sometimes when you have a high profile athlete like that admitting certain things in their life and showing that not everything is wine and roses that's a huge thing as well he remained an ace pitcher for a bunch of years and the history of the yankees having that 2009 world series title in there remove that and there's a big big spiral in this franchise Sabathia was one of the best free agent signings of all time. And when you look at his years with the Yankees and couple with his Cy Young Award season and several of the years there was a Cy Young contender in Cleveland and his cameo in Milwaukee, I believe he's a Hall of Famer.
I, I would vote for CeCe Sabathia in the Hall of Fame. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say number 52 will be retired. And it should be. He was a great Yankee. They won that 2009 championship in part because of him. And he did everything asked of him with a high-profile, big-budget contract. And do you know what? In this day and age of people skedaddling, he wound up playing 11 years with the Yankees. He played a decade with the Yankees. And so I think eventually he'll be in there. But there's someone who may not get to the Hall of Fame for other reasons, needs to have their number retired. It's an unlucky number, but it's one that, well, let's face it, someone who deserves in every way, shape, or form. Because say it with me, he was one of the great Yankees of all time. Earlier this year, Joey was a bust with the Yankees. No, I'm not saying to retire Joey. He was a bust. It didn't work out. There have been many instances with players who have been solid on other teams arrive in New York and it doesn't quite work out. There's a bunch of players. Heck, Randy Johnson in the Hall of Fame, one of the great pitchers I've ever seen in my life. Didn't quite work out with the Yankees. It happens. Happened with Joey Gallo. But he wore number 13. Now, number 13 was worn by one Alex Rodriguez. Perhaps you're aware of Alex Emmanuel Rodriguez. He's born in New York and arrived in New York after the 2003 World Series. Maybe you remember him. How would you describe Alex Rodriguez? What adjectives and descriptors would you use for him? I can tell you what you should be saying, especially if you're a Yankee fan. He's the greatest third baseman in Yankee history. Don't give me Greg Nettles. Don't give me anybody who played alongside Ruth or DiMaggio. The Yankees have had some good third basemen. I mentioned Wade Boggs earlier. But no, it's not even close. A-Rod is the greatest third baseman in the history of the Yankees. Now, if you just want to talk numbers or wondering, was he a true Yankee, which I never understood that. He played a dozen seasons with the Yankees, okay? I think that's enough. I think that's enough time to be considered a true Yankee. Uh, I'm not huge in war. I, I understand it, but, you know, I, I don't look at it as the end-all, be-all. But he is in the top 12 of Yankee history, a history that has, oh, I don't know, a couple of good players in their time. So to be in the, you know, the discussion of the top dozen players in the history of the franchise, and that's just including his years with the Yankees, then, uh, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say he wasn't bad. I'm going to say he wasn't bad. Um, he wanted, if you just take a look at some of the, just the, the Yankee career, Now I'm not talking about his whole career. Uh, if you like war for position players, he's in the top 10. If you like offensive war, just for his, for his Yankee years, he's in the top eight. If you want to look at slugging percentage career, He's in the top seven. On base, the top eight. 
And if you, here's the other thing. I want to point this out. In terms of home runs, he finished with 351 with the Yankees. He nearly hit 700 for his career. Here are the only Yankees to hit more home runs as a Yankee than Alex Rodriguez. Yogi Berra, Joe DiMaggio, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth. Those are the only five players in Yankee history to have out-homered Alex Rodriguez. You're going up and down the history of the Yankees. Runs created, adjusted batting runs, all sorts of metrics, adjusted batting wins. You'll see A-Rod's name come up over and over and over again. There's another thing he did. Now, you can point to the times that Alex Rodriguez failed in the postseason. And he did have some clunkers uh, in his postseason time with the Yankees. That is true. He was terrible in the 2005 Division Series. He was terrible the final games of the 04 ALCS. He was unwatchable in the 06 playoffs where he was eventually benched against Detroit. He whiffed and whiffed and whiffed in the 2007 playoffs. And all those years, those first bunch of years with the Yankees where they kept failing in the postseason. And he was the big face of the team. I will say this. The Yankees don't make the postseason in 2005 or 2007 without A-Rod. Remember those years when he was the MVP? They would have missed the playoffs altogether without him. I'll also say this. In 2004, he carried the Yankees past the Twins in the division series. They were on the verge of falling behind 2-0 to Minnesota in 2004. And the first four games in 2004 against the Red Sox, he was terrific, hitting a few home runs, getting big hit after big hit. He wet the bed the final few games. But if Rivera got out of the ninth inning like he should have, then chances are the Yankees clobber St. Louis in the World Series. A-Rod would have been a champion his first year with the Yankees. They'd be treating him like Reggie Jackson or CeCe Sabathia. Here's the other thing. A-Rod was the offensive hero in 2009. Yes, I know Matsui was the World Series MVP. Yes, I know Sabathia won the ALCS MVP. His numbers, the huge home runs that he hit, game-tying home runs in the first two rounds of the playoffs, uh, OPS of 1,000 in the first round, batting 429 with an OPS of um, oh, you know, 1.519, a 973 OPS in the World Series. They don't win that World Series without his bat. He was dynamic, and yet he never seemed to get the credit for that. Partly because in the postseasons after that, against Texas and Detroit, and uh, Detroit again and against Houston, he kind of flailed and was awful, and they started blaming him again. I remember when they won the World Series in 2009, and I'm hardly an A-Rod fan. I remember thinking this was his John Elway moment. You can't say anything bad about him anymore. Well, apparently people did. It made no sense to me. Statistically, he's the greatest third baseman in the history of the Yankees, winning multiple MVPs and carrying him to a World Series title. And they handed his number to, to Joey Gallo? Is there any talk of retiring his number? 
You want to compare him to Posada? When did Posada carry the team? Oh, it's off the field stuff. Oh, okay. Because you want to celebrate only people with solid lives off the field, like Billy Martin. I'm a huge fan of Billy Martin. He's one of the most fascinating figures in the history of baseball. But uh, a role model, he was not. Babe Ruth was as good a pitcher as he was a hitter, led the league in home runs, led the league in every offensive category, and led the league in whorehouses he visited. Not exactly living the -the off-the-field life that you would look at as, oh, let's raise him up. Oh, but he was a juicer. He did steroids. He did PEDs. That's right. He did. So did Andy Pettit. And I have no problem with Andy Pettit's number being retired. But what's the rationale of not retiring Alex Rodriguez's number? What's the rationale? Was he not great enough? He's the greatest third baseman of the franchise I've ever seen. You not spend enough years there? He played as many years with the Yankees as Roger Maris, more years than Roger Maris and Reggie Jackson combined. Oh, you don't like his off-the-field stuff? Really? As Billy Martin's getting into fistfights with marshmallow salesmen in Minnesota? That sounds like a weird Mad Lib, but that actually happened. He didn't win enough? What, like Don Mattingly? So, look at I know it's tough for some people to admit this, but you should admit it. A-Rod should be celebrated. A-Rod should be celebrated for what he meant to the team, for what he was, for what he did. Imagine this franchise if they had missed the 05 postseason, the 07 postseason, didn't win a World Series in 09, where they'd be looking at 2000 as their last title. For all the talk about Jeter this and Jeter that, Under Jeter's captainship, he won one World Series, 09, of which A-Rod did the heavy lifting offensively. And CeCe Sabathia did the heavy lifting as a starting pitcher. And I think both of them should have their numbers retired. Because, well, that's why. What about Matsui? I don't know. That would be an interesting debate as well. May not happen. Maybe he'll be a plaque. Either way, if the retired numbers should be for the all-time greats, guess what? Number 13 was one. So don't hand that off to some flailing away slugger you picked up at the trade deadline from Texas and unceremoniously dumped to Los Angeles. That belongs in Monument Park. So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Locked On Yankees. Again, I apologize for the COVID. I tried not to get it. So hopefully I will talk to you either later today on Tuesday if my voice starts to feel better. Or we'll talk on Wednesday. And hopefully on Wednesday we'll have a Yankees victory to talk about. So that's it for this episode of Locked On Yankees, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this show 
in Odyssey, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, everywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube. Obviously, you can watch us on YouTube. And uh, click the like button and, or the like thumb and um, the bell notification so you are n- notified whenever we get our videos up. And if you need something else to listen to, listen to Sully again. Listen to Locked On MLB. He's an expert. He's passionate about baseball. And he's the number one daily league-wide podcast on every podcasting platform available. So make sure you listen to Sully if you can. And yeah, so hopefully again, either later today or on Wednesday. And I hope you have a good one. 